0: I've been talking to a lot of pastors the last couple of weeks, and um, I like the hairdo, Tom. It's good. Uh, last, uh, Talking about working our way through a book of the Bible, and you know, some, some churches, this is their entire uh, methodology. They only do systematic studies of Scripture, you know, verse by verse by verse by verse, which is a powerful thing to do because even Pastor and I were talking about this. The great thing about that is you hit the whole gospel doing that. You don't miss anything. Because you're working your way through. What I'm enjoying specifically about this book, in the book of uh, Corinthians, is I feel like I'm learning more than I learned in Bible college. I'm learning so much more about this book. But not just about this book, but about Paul, about the background of this time in history, of when this was written and why it was written, and so much more about my faith. And we, we called this series Crown Point Corinthians because it parallels so much modern day it parallels so much what we're going through. It seems like as I read this over and over and over, I'm amazed at how apropos it is, how timely it is. Yet this book was written, you know, over 2,000 years ago. And yet, it's, it's, it's just what we're experiencing right here, right now, at Crown Point Church in Lee Summit, Missouri, in the year 2012. Having said that, as we talk about this particular chapter this week, I think it would be interesting if Paul were to visit our churches. Imagine if he did. What would he expect? Well, I wonder what he would think. I wonder if it, I wonder how closely it would resemble the churches that he was starting and planting and operating in. I mean, how, what would, I wonder if it would be the same. Because it's difficult for us to know exactly how it was during that time. We try, you know, we study, we look at it, we read it. But there's so many times where I'm sure it's not exactly the same. It would just be fascinating to pick his brain for a minute and ask him, what did you really mean here? What did it really look like? As we look at this portion of scripture, we're jumping into chapter 12. This, this is actually, we've looked at this a couple times, how Paul constructs these elaborate arguments to convince the people of certain things. And sometimes he's scolding them, sometimes he's encouraging them. And remember, we looked at how he was kind of setting them up for a scolding by encouraging them. He was talking about how spiritual they were and how wonderful they were. And then he just lowers the hammer. And uh, here he he does it in a in another way. He's obviously answering some questions, but let, let's read it and you'll see what we're talking about now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to uh, by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, this chapter 12, it really goes in an argument that he constructs with chapter 12, 13, and 14. It's all one argument. But that would be too long for a Wednesday night, wouldn't it? I mean, three chapters, especially considering how famous chapter 13 is. And then maybe you didn't think about the fact that 12 and 14 deal specifically with gifts of the Spirit. You wonder, why was 13 in the middle? We'll talk about that more next week. But Harry is constructing this argument, and the first thing he does, he's talking about gifts, but he starts with a little correction. Did you catch it there? Those of you who have been here for a few weeks uh, as we've been studying Corinthians, you'll remember that these guys prided themselves on spirituality, right? And yet, what did he start with? I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. I guarantee you, they didn't think they were ignorant. They thought they had it all together. In fact, whatever question they asked him that he was answering here, we, can, we find that, that they probably were insulted just a little bit with the way he phrased it. And in some versions, the nuance of that Greek word, it could have been interpreted ignorance, misinterpretation, I mean, there's all these negative words that could have been associated with what Paul was saying. What I love about that is some of you probably are better at this than others. You know how you can say something that sounds nice, but at the same time, you're kind of giving a little smackdown. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of the backward compliment people do sometimes. Right? Like your hair looks really nice. I get that a lot. And uh, anyway, that's what he's doing. Not only that, you will see this woven through everything that Paul writes is the Trinity. He talks about Jesus all the time, but he talks about the Trinity here in this verse. He's talking about the Spirit, then he's talking about Jesus. It's woven in all the time. Now, some people, critics of Christianity, would say the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And if you didn't know that, it's not in the Bible. But there's a lot of concepts that are in the Bible that we see as a concept and we've given a title or a name to, because it's easier for us to talk about it and identify what we're talking about. And we'll see a couple other clear examples in this chapter. He talks, for instance, how these gifts are given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But who was given the gift? God, right? So you've got God, you've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is is referred to as a person in these first two verses. He has the characteristics of a person. He's doing what a person would do. He has the choice, volition, to give a gift and he gives it. That's something a person can do. Then he talks about how Jesus is Lord in the same verse. See, again, you see the Trinity kind of borne out. Oh, let me. I race ahead there. I gave it away. Did I give it away? Did you guys see that on the screen? Okay. Okay. Well, in there, when it, when, in verse number two, where he says Jesus is Lord, this is, this is one of the fun things about Scripture that if you just casually read it, you're going to miss this type of thing. And a lot of times the critics of Christianity, of course, they're going to miss it because they have an agenda and they're not looking to learn anything or be, be informed. They're just trying to criticize. But if you were reading chapter, uh, this verse, verse two, and if you were a student of Greek like Pastor is, you would know... That the Christians during this era, they used a form of the Bible that was actually written in Greek. Pastor, you remember the name of that? <laughs> yeah, it was Koine Greek. That's true. And in that version of Greek that Paul used at the time, he uses the exact word for Lord that is used in the Old Testament references to Lord. How many of you use an NIV Bible? Have you ever noticed in the Old Testament where you're coming across and the word Lord shows up and it's all capitalized like that? That word in the Hebrew is a very special word. That is the name of God, the actual name of God there. That's the exact same word that Paul uses, intentionally, intentionally uses of Jesus right here. See what he's saying? He's illustrating what we would call the Trinity without even, I mean, he's not trying to teach a lesson on the Trinity. He's just speaking theology because it's true. That's what he's doing. But let me, let me take a step back, for, in case you're not familiar with this. In, in the Hebrew, the way that they wrote the Hebrew Bible, they didn't use con, or vowels. I know that seems strange to us, but they just didn't. They used only consonants. And they used cap, they, when they did it, they used consonants. And when they wrote this word, Lord, which in your NIV will be capitalized, L-O-R-D, like that, what it was, is it was these four letters, like this. This is referred to, I know this is terrible, but tetragrammaton. You got that? Should we repeat that? I didn't write it up there because I didn't want you to have to remember it. But this is called the tetragrammaton. and it, it means the four-lettered word, which this is a good four-letter word. This four-letter word in Hebrew are these letters, Y-H-W-H. Now here's the thing about the Hebrews, they revered the name of God so much that not only did they not, they never spoke this word, so what they would do is put a substitute word in or, or, or refer to God without using this name as they read it, so what happened is throughout the ages they literally forgot how it was supposed to be pronounced, so there's been a little controversy that you are probably aware of but you didn't realize this is what it was about how this word is supposed to be pronounced. Let me just give you an example. If all you have is the consonants, let's say if we played around with these vowels, where would you insert some vowels? Let's say if you put an E there, and then maybe an O there, and then an A there, what would that say? Say it a little louder. Jehovah. See how that works? That'd be Jehovah, Jehovah. Or if you did it another way, you might put in an A there, and then an E there, then what would you get? Yahweh. So you've heard those two names of God. Maybe you didn't realize that those are the two kind of leading ideas. And most scholars today lean toward Yahweh for the the correct pronunciation of God's name that the Hebrews wouldn't pronounce. But I love that, that Paul, in this second verse, says Jesus is Yahweh. You see how he says that? He just tosses it in there. And in the English, it just slips by us because we don't, we don't know all this history and background. What's kind of funny is I bet you the Corinthians didn't either. They, they, were, they were Greeks. They were Greeks in a Roman colony. They weren't Jews. They didn't have this background. Paul's just writing to them as he would just let it flow out of his mind. He knew Jesus was God. He just wrote it that way. Anyway, let's, let's go on. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. See, the Spirit has volition. He's doing the distributing. Do you see how that works? Then he goes on. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. This chapter 12, the main point, I'll tell you now and you're going to get reminded over and over. The point of this chapter is that there's diversity yet unity in the body of Christ. That's what he's trying to tell us. Diversity and unity all at the same time. Again, we saw the Trinity. Did you catch it? I slipped it by you, didn't I? I did it quick. He talked about the same spirit, remember? And he said, same Lord and same God. He just keeps throwing it in there because that's the truth. It's how it is. Not only that, he talks about there's different kinds of service. When you think of service in the church, what do you think of? Do you think of a leader serving, servant leader? Do you think of that? Do you think of the fellowship committee setting up for an event, church event? We're having a church picnic. I hope you all come on June 10th. It's a Sunday. We're going to do it right here on the grounds. It's going to be a a lot of fun. I I wonder if you think about waiting on tables because the Greek word that Paul intentionally uses is this, a, a form of this word, and it's also the form of this word. Did you know that? He just kind of tosses it in there. Different kinds of service. He also said there's different kinds of working. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and he uses a term here that, that illustrates observable power. So when he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, it's something that you should be able to see evident. Different, supernatural, outside of human abilities. Okay? Something special here. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Interesting, lot a of, lot of truth here, a lot of theology. Again, it's about diversity and unity. These are given for the common good. Do you see the purpose in them? I think that we, in the assemblies of God, have the potential to err in this in this this one part here. Because sometimes we like seeing them, the gifts, right? Do, Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it gets, or it could be, not here, of course, but it could be, it could be about seeing the gifts operated rather than the point of the gifts Paul clearly said was to edify and serve the body. It's for the body to be built up. Not necessarily to, to be shown off, and certainly not for selfish advantage. What commentators tell us is this is probably the problem that Paul was trying to address in Corinth, was that they liked to show off, and that they were using their gifts to show off, and you'll see later that they liked certain gifts more than others because they were a little more flamboyant and a little more showy. But again, Paul says it's about diversity and unity. He says it's through the Spirit. It's the work of one and the same Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is doing these works. And then He distributes as He determines. I wish I could determine. Does anybody else feel that way? I'm pretty sure He's never checked with me about how that should work. When I was in Bible college, um, I had just been, I'd just been elected ASB president. And this guy came up to me, very spiritual guy, and he said, I think in your role that I need to impart some gifts to you. you got to understand, Bible college is a fun place because there's some really fun people there. And, you know, I didn't want to be... You know, I had to really check my spirit because I thought, you know, what I was really thinking is, who do you think you are? That's what I was thinking. And I was thinking, please. But then I thought, what if he's right? (laughs) And I thought, you know, I, I want whatever God has for me. You know? And so we had a prayer room at, at school. I went to the prayer room and, uh, with him. And, man, the whole time I was just battling in my mind, this guy is weird. And, you know, he's praying and he's saying, I think you need this and I think you need this. And it wasn't until years later that I thought, man, I don't know if he was really in the spirit or not. I don't know. All I know is I wanted to be obedient. I was willing for God to give me whatever he wanted to give me. But the truth of this scripture is he determines what the church needs and he gives those gifts. I wish it was up to us, but it's not. So let's go, let's talk about this for a minute. Before we actually get into this list of gifts, I, I want to I help you with, uh, I apologize for all these big words today, but hermeneutics is the proper interpretation of literature or scripture. Okay? This is a good place for you to get a little tiny primer in this. There are times in Scripture where we wonder if what is happening is that the author is just describing what's happening. That's it. It doesn't necessarily mean this is how it always should be or always will be. For instance, we don't use the term bishop in our denomination, yet they did in the early church. So one might ask, well, was that just describing, for instance, a term they used? We don't use the term overseer. But that was a common term. So my point is, there are times in Scripture where what is happening is something is being described. For instance, Acts chapter 2, remember the day of Pentecost? 120 in the upper room, and the Spirit fell, and they all spoke in tongues. What else happened? What did they see on their heads? Fire. I've never seen that. I've been in a, in a meeting, though, where I know, I mean, the Spirit was really, really moving, and then somebody took a picture, and it looked like that. And I don't know if something happened to the Polaroid or what. Remember, Polaroids were weird, but I don't know. But I've never actually seen that. So my point is, sometimes it's descriptive, not necessarily going to always be that way. Sometimes you're dealing with a correction. And, and th- the point is that Paul, at times, is correcting a problem. It doesn't mean that he's going to correct every problem or a problem we have. And we may have something that we have an issue with that's different than what the Corinthian church had, and he's correcting their problem, and you may look at it and think, hmm, okay, I guess what I'm doing is okay. But that's not necessarily the case. You just have to understand, at times, he's specifically correcting a certain specific situation. Other times, you wonder if it's prescriptive. In other words, it's supposed to be this way. So, for instance, last week, Pastor masterfully put women in their place. How many? There's a lot of groans out there today. What's interesting? <laughs> yeah, he's looking around like, okay, bring it, bring it. Uh, I mean, that, that portion of Scripture is interesting because Paul, Paul makes a big emphasis about covering your head. You know, women not cutting their hair. Men should cut their hair which I'm I'm good there. Um, But what's interesting about that is it seems if you were to only have the book of 1 Corinthians, then our way of doing church would be vastly different because he didn't actually make that kind of correction or prescriptive directives to the church in Ephesus or some of the other churches he talked to. So you've got, to, you've got to find out, was it prescriptive for that situation, or is it something that's eternal and always supposed to be that way? Another thing you need to, t- to understand is, we in the 21st century, and even those of us who lived in the 20th century, we think encyclopedic. We think you can go to the shelf and pull a book off. Anybody's parents buy the encyclopedias? Like the whole set? Okay, thank you. <laughs> My parents asked me if I wanted those the other day. I just, no, that's all right, Dad, thanks. (laughs) Like, wow. But the Bible is not an encyclopedia. It wasn't written that way. The people in those cultures didn't even think that way. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't even considered. So for instance, we're going to talk about this in a minute. This list of gifts here, there are nine spiritual gifts we're going to read in a second. But that may not be the whole list. It may be the list that Paul was just mentioning because he was trying to deal with, we think he was really trying to deal with tongues and interpretation. And he left them at the end of the list for for a very strategic reason. But my point is, this is not a full comprehensive list, which I would prefer. But it's not there. That's not how it was written. So looking at the gifts, he doesn't define the gifts with the exception of tongues. Why not? We don't know why he didn't define them. Perhaps they were so common it didn't need definition. We don't know. But he didn't. In this this portion of scripture we're going to look at, there are three lists of gifts. And in each one, tongues is at the end. I think that's important to understand. Romans 12, which you're probably familiar with, we usually call these administrative gifts. And I'll list them here. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy but you know there's more administrative gifts than this, but these are the ones he listed in this particular portion of Scripture. But it's not the same list that we have in Corinthians. In Ephesians, he lists what some people might call ministerial gifts. Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, which some of those are included in this portion of Scripture, but not all of them. So my point is, it's not an encyclopedic list. Don't get too... Oh, in 2 Corinthians 12.1... I, I've, I can honestly tell you, I have never seen this referred to as a spiritual gift. But maybe it should have. Look, Paul goes in, and this is, this is a long portion of Scripture, obviously, but I just pulled out this verse. I, mu- must, um, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Would, wouldn't that be kind of a gift? If you're one that gets visions and revelations that way? I mean, Paul mentions it in, this, in 2 Corinthians and then he talks about someone he knew who had a revelation like this. We're all familiar with the book of Revelation, which John says he was caught up, right? I mean, if that's not a spiritual gift of a sort, I don't know what is. So my point is that when we look at this list in 1 Corinthians, it's important to understand that Paul wasn't necessarily listing the only nine gifts. Um, I, need, I feel like I need to give you another long word. That's not true. I need to give you this idea. Some people think that some really good people, good Christians, entire denominations think that our world has been, that God has split up the time of the world into sections of history. And they call it dispensations or dispensationalism, where they think that there was a church age, the early church age, the apostolic age, that in that age, this is just, This is my, I think they're just rationalizing because they don't have any gifts of the Spirit in their church. But, okay, they think that this time in church history, they were so immature as Christians that they needed these gifts. And that once they were more mature as a church, that they no longer needed these gifts. That's why they don't exist today. That's what some would teach. However, they base that on saying that the book of Corinthians was written to a young church, but if that's true, Paul only mentioned communion in this book. <laughs> so would that mean that we're not supposed to do communion anymore? I mean, it's just, it's just the weak, weak arguments. But some people also say that it was during this early period of the church that they needed direct guidance of the Holy Spirit to direct specifically what was going to happen and when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen. And uh, not all, but some also then teach that in the book of Corinthians... 13 where it says that when that which is perfect will come then these things will pass away and they say that once they had the bible in place the canonized bible that they no longer needed the gifts because they had the bible to guide them my point is that paul didn't make any of these exceptions in talking about these things in fact what he did is he just seemed to presume that they were all common that these were things that all the churches did and that his churches did, and this church was operating in all of these gifts. So let's take a look at the gifts. Wisdom and uh, knowledge, he lists first. And I think he did it intentionally because these were two things that the Corinthian church really, really, really prided themselves in. And yet he's telling them that there is a spiritual impartation of wisdom and knowledge. Faith. This type of faith is not the faith that saves us, but this is the type of faith that goes above and beyond, that God gives us to deal with horrendous things or huge issues that God would help take us over. Healing is a gift. This is interesting, too, because in the Greek, it's a double plural. Double plural. And that's really an unusual construction. And they say, why would Paul do that? It wasn't a mistake. He intentionally did that. And Some scholars think he did that because he's talking about healings of all different types. And then the next one is really fascinating. It's called miraculous power, which I guess would include any miracle outside of healing. Prophecy. Prophecy is is both foretelling the future from God and also God telling us what's on his mind and what he wants and what he thinks. Discerning spirits, discerning whether or not uh, something is from God, or something is, or what is being said is really from the Lord. Speaking in tongues, as an Assembly of God church, is something we in, we endorse wholeheartedly. In fact, we've, we in the assemblies we call it our our distinctive, our Pentecostal distinctive. Let me let me just make a couple thoughts about tongues. Some people talk about it as human languages, and we know that in Acts chapter two, I'll give you a little clip here. Both Jews and converts to Judaism. If you remember the story in Acts 2, it was a big festival. It was the day of Pentecost. 50 days after Passover, Jerusalem was full of Jews from all over the world. And it lists all these people groups in the like two or three verses ahead of this verse. And then it says, both Jews and converts to Judaism, all these people, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And it says, how can this be? These are just, these are uneducated fishermen. And yet, we hear him speak in tongues. Can I tell you a personal story about this? Another prayer room story. We were doing this. I had gone to the prayer room for something, and as I walked in, I was, gonna, I was getting ready to walk in, and this friend of mine, he's from Japan, his name is Yoshi, and he was a student at the school. And he was kind of jumping up and down and all excited, which was really uncharacteristic of him. And I said, Yoshi, what is going on? He goes, You will never believe what just happened. So he told me the story. This friend of his was from Japan, and his friend was Baptist. Yoshi was Assembly of God. The Baptist that his friend was didn't believe tongues were for today. And so they were having this debate. His friend was visiting him from Japan. He said, why don't we go to the prayer room and pray about it? So they went into the prayer room and a white guy is praying all by himself in the prayer room in perfect Japanese. So Yoshi said, I looked at my friend and we looked at each other and we just looked at him. And so they just kept staring (laughs) So they said, finally, we had to interrupt him. And so they just said, do you know what you're doing? And he's like, I'm praying. And they said, no, you're speaking Japanese. And he goes, I'm just praying in tongues, like that. And they said, well, try to say this. Because those of you who know, you know languages, there are certain things that are difficult to say in certain languages. He couldn't say some of the things he was just saying. So I'm telling you that I know this is real. I don't I don't know that my prayer language is a language. Pretty weird language, but Paul also talks about heavenly languages. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, oops, I went backwards, sorry. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, if you if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. So that kind of indicates that he's talking about heavenly languages if, if nobody can understand it. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will, it will all be mysterious. Then the last gift that is mentioned is interpretation of tongues. They've, scholars believe that the issue here in Corinth that Paul was dealing with is that people who were speaking in tongues were emphasizing that gift over the others because it's so obvious and so demonstrative that they were, they were making a big deal about it, which we will see when we look at chapter 14. And they think that that's why Paul intentionally put it at the end, not because it's not important, because as we'll see in chapter 14, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's not saying it's not important. What he's saying is the Spirit gives what we need, and he gives them all to us. And all these gifts are for the church, and they all have a place. So now he's going to go into detail with, a, with an example that you've heard this example a million times. It's also in Romans. But what I never knew is that this, this analogy of the human body was used by lots of people in ancient times, especially rulers who wanted to control people, which is not what Paul did. So he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the spirit to drink, one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Again, diversity and unity. He's talking about teamwork, how it fits together, how it works. He's talking about interdependence, how we need each other. Unfortunately, the way that the ancients would use this is they would say, the head is so much more important than the foot. That's why you're a foot, you're a lowly servant, and I'm the head and I'm in charge. Paul turned that all the way upside down, and then he goes into detail about how we need each other. Notice how ethnicity and culture is no longer an issue in the church. One of the things that distinguished the Christian church from all other churches All other churches at the time was the ethnic diversity in that church. Not only that, social classes, again, not an issue anymore. Some also think that it may have been some of the rich people in the church who are trying to make it sound like since they were rich and more important, then they should get the flashier gifts. Don't know. Um, Let's talk again a little bit about the body analogy. He says it's arranged by God. God is the one that chooses what part goes where. He says, nobody can say who needed it. He says, there are no inferior gifts. This is the part of scripture. I didn't put it all up, but there's a part where it says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And remember all that? You guys have heard this before, right? Anybody ever experienced that personally? You have, right? Does Anybody have a, (laughs) I would tell you a story. I shouldn't, but I am my toenail, my big toe sticks up. Anybody have that, your toenail? You would never notice it. I never thought about it until one day I was opening a door quick in the closet and carpet. And the door barely cleared my toe, but not my nail. You ever had that happen? Yeah. Yeah, then for two weeks, I cared about my toenail. But two weeks later, I didn't care about it anymore. Paul goes into this detail about how our, some of those smaller parts are more important so we give them special modesty. Some of them he talks about, but that's not how the world interpreted that analogy before. Paul turns it all upside down and says that all those things are important. Everybody everybody has a part. There's no inferior gifts and there are no superior gifts. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. See how he reverses the whole thing? They were under the impression, just like in our world today, that if you're special, you act like it and everybody else better notice. What he is saying is the special parts don't need anything. It's the, it's the parts that aren't as special that we give special treatment to. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Again, diversity and unity. The stronger should prefer and take care of the weaker. Isn't that kind of the theme of chapter 10 even? Remember when he was talking about how that if if eating meat would make someone lose their faith and he would never eat meat again? You're preferring somebody else over yourself. Paul keeps going back to that theme. Don't elevate the public gifts. Now, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, uh, apostles, second prophets, third teachers. See here he's mixing, remember that list from Ephesians. And then you'll see some of the lists that he already had mentioned. Uh, Then miracles, then gifts of healing and of helping and of guidance and different kinds of tongues. He throws it all in there. And again, tongues at the end there. Are all apostles Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Doesn't it seem like a contradiction? Didn't he just get done saying they're all the same? What's he talking about? (laughs) Well, let's, let's, let's talk about the obvious part of what he's talking about first. Number one, all parts of this body are needed. Every part. Every part is needed. That's you. Every part. Every single one of you are important to this body. Every one. Now before, as we've been talking, it's easy to get thinking about some, you know, Corinth or the Church of God at large or whatever. I'm talking about now, let's talk for a minute about Crown Point Church. Every one of you are important here. Now some of you probably are sitting there thinking, oh, probably not because people don't know my name. Or you might be thinking, I haven't done anything in the church ever. Obviously, I'm not important. I I need to turn that around for you and let you understand something. If if that is you, then we are suffering as a church because you are not functioning. I'm not saying it's your fault, even. I'm just saying the church isn't what it should be or could be because you're not part of it. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that... We could be so much better if whatever God had gifted you to do and contribute to this body of Christ was happening. That would be amazing. Imagine what's not happened in this church or not happening in this church because people aren't doing whatever it is God's called them to do. And it doesn't have to be, I'm not talking about singing necessarily or those other things. That's not what I'm talking about. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, that's what I'm talking about. Whatever that is. When I, when I wrote this, I hesitated. We all have gifts. I, I'm not sure why I hesitated, only except I've heard a lot of people say, I don't have any gifts. I'm just here. That's not true. As I've talked to people, it's amazing to find out gifts that maybe they don't even realize what they contribute because it comes so natural they don't even see it. Maybe you're an encourager. Maybe you're one of those people who gives. I mean that's that's actually in the list. <laughs> and that should never ever be minimized. That's huge. If you're one of the ones who serve, this church would never work without the volunteers here, without the people who do all the things behind the scenes that nobody sees. If people thought all the church was was Nick and the worship team and pastor on a Sunday, they would miss maybe 90% of the church, if not more, because all of that happens. And those people who are doing it aren't looking for, for public praise, or they're not looking for any of that, because that's what God has given them to do. Years ago, I was at this conference, and this pastor was talking about, he was talking about it from the perspective like this. He said, if you can find the volunteers, the person in the body of Christ, the thing that they were gifted to do, they will become fully alive. Because for once in their life, they found the purpose, the reason they were there, And up until that point, they might have been frustrated and just sitting around and thinking, oh, I wish I could sing or I wish I could do this. And a lot of times we're just drawn to those public gifts and Paul is saying, those aren't the big deals. Don't make them the big deal. They're not. It's all the other things. All the other things. Cheryl does more than this, but I think about her making coffee for Sunday school every Sunday because I'm trying to get her out of the way so I can make coffee. No, I'm kidding. She has her own coffee pot. But, I think about that and how important that is to the body of Christ because it's serving that classroom and, and it's it, it just that's one small thing that matters it all matters. So my question to you tonight is what are your gifts? Has anybody taken a survey of gifts? Anybody not done that? Let me just <laughs> maybe I should ask it in the reverse. Okay, a few people have not. I mean, I've taken those gift surveys before, and I thought, well, this is just me saying this. It's just wishful thinking. I want to do this. I want to be that. I don't know. Here, I was tempted to bring, because I found some that I really like, gift surveys lately. But I was tempted to do that to you tonight and make you fill one of those out. But then I thought, you know what? I, I would like to just spend a few minutes in prayer. And if you're sitting here and you don't know what God has gifted you or called you to do or what part you could play in this church, then I I would like you first to just ask God, what what is it, Lord? What what am I supposed to be doing? You know what else? This is important to understand, too. Your gift to the church might change. might be different from one season of life to another. may not always be the same. And there may be periods where you're giving, giving, and then you've got to take care of stuff at home or whatever. I'm not saying it's always the same. What I'm saying is, we all have something to give. And if you haven't discovered that don't know what that is, you know what else? There's no age limit on this. None. As a youth pastor, some of my best volunteers were grandma and grandpa's. You know why? They got life experience. They get it. And they've got a love for youth that, you know, it's different. They They can... They can see past. They've got longer vision. It's different. I love it. So what are your gifts? And as we're talking about that, I think it really comes down to this. We talked about the unity and diversity. There's different gifts, and that's fine, and there's a unity involved. But one last thing I wanted to leave you with is this. As we're focusing on gifts, though, don't get so focused on gifts you forget the gift giver. It's easy to make that mistake, that it becomes all about the show and the gift and whatever, and you forget it's really all about Jesus. It's about him serving him, serving the body, loving God, and then loving others. That's really, really is what it's all about. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a minute? Father, we, we stand before you, sit before you tonight as a body, your body.